Hello, this is R.J. Deacon, reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Nielsen, Secretary of Homeland Security, versus Preap. Certiori to the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Argued, October 10th, 2018. Decided, March 19th, 2019. Federal immigration law empowers the Secretary of Homeland Security to arrest and hold a deportable alien pending a removal decision and generally gives the Secretary the discretion to either detain the alien or to release him on bond or parole, 8 U.S.C. Section 1226A. Another provision, Section 1226C, enacted out of concern that deportable criminal aliens who are not detained continue to engage in crime and fail to appear for their, removable, their removal hearings, DeMoor versus Kim, sets out four categories of aliens who are inadmissible or deportable for bearing certain links to terrorism or for committing specified crimes. Section 1226C1 directs the Secretary to arrest any such criminal alien when the alien is released from jail, and Section 1226C2 forbids the Secretary to release any alien described in paragraph 1 pending a determination on removal, removal with one exception not relevant here. Respondents, two classes of aliens detained under Section 1226C2, allege that because they were not immediately detained by immigration officials after their release from criminal custody, they are not the aliens described in paragraph 1, even though all of them fall into at least one of the four categories covered by 1226C1A through D. Because the government must rely on 1226A for their detention, Respondents argue they are entitled to bond hearings to determine if they should be released pending a decision on their status. The district courts ruled for respondents, and the Ninth Circuit affirmed. The judgments are reversed, and the cases are remanded. Justice Alito delivered the opinion of the court with respect to parts 1, 3A, 3B1, and 4, concluding that the Ninth Circuit's interpretation of Section 1226C is contrary to the plain text and structure of the statute. The statute's text does not support the argument that because respondents were not arrested immediately after their release, they are not described in Section 1226C1. Since an adverb cannot modify a noun, Section 1226C1's adverbial clause, when released, does not modify the noun alien, which is modified instead by the adjectival clauses appearing in subparagraphs A through D. Respondents contend that an adverb can describe a person even though it cannot modify the noun used to denote that person. But, this court's interpretation is not dependent on a rule of grammar. The grammar merely complements what is conclusive here the meaning of described, as it appears in section 1226c2, namely, to communicate verbally an account of salient identifying features. That is the relevant definition, since the indisputable job of the description in paragraph 1 is to identify for the secretary which aliens she must arrest immediately when they are released. Yet the when-released clause could not possibly describe aliens in that sense. 
If it did, the direction given to the secretary in 1226C1 would be incoherent. Moreover, Congress's use of the definite article in when the alien is released indicates that the scope of the word alien has been previously specified in context. For that noun to have been previously specified, its scope must have been settled by the time the when released clause appears at the end of paragraph 1. Thus, the class of people to whom the alien refers must be fixed by the predicate offenses identified in subparagraphs A through D. Subsections A and C do not establish separate sources of arrest and release authority. Subsection C is a limit on the authority conferred by subsection A. Accordingly, all the relevant detainees will have been arrested by authority that springs from subsection A, and the, that fact alone will not spare them from subsection C2's prohibition on release. The text of section 1226 itself contemplates that aliens arrested under subsection A may face mandatory detention under subsection C. If section 1226C's detention mandate applied only to those arrested pursuant to subsection C1, there would have been no need for subsection A's sentence on the release of aliens to include the words except as provided in subsection C. It is also telling that subsection C2 does not limit mandatory detention to those arrested pursuant to subsection C1 or under the authority created by subsection C1, but to anyone so much as described in subsection C1. This reading of section 1226C does not flout the interpretive canon against surplusage. The when-released clause still functions to clarify when the duty to arrest is triggered and to extort the secretary to act quickly. Nor does this reading have the incongruous result of forbidding the release of a set of aliens whom there is no duty to arrest in the first place. Finally, the canon of constitutional avoidance does not apply where there is no ambiguity. See Warger versus Showers? Justice Alito, joined by the Chief Justice and Justice Kavanaugh, concluded in Parts 2 and 3b2, This court has jurisdiction to hear these cases. The limitation on review in Section 1226E applies only to discretionary decisions about the application of 1226 to particular cases. It does not block lawsuits over the extent of the government's detention authority under the statutory framework as a whole. See Jennings versus Rodriguez. For reasons stated in Jennings, Section 1252b9 does not present a jurisdictional bar. Whether the district court in the pre-app case had jurisdiction under Section 1252f1 to grant injunctive relief is irrelevant because the court had jurisdiction to entertain the plaintiff's request for de declaratory relief. And the fact that by the time of class certification, the named plaintiffs had obtained either cancellation of removal or bond hearings did not make these cases moot. At least one named plaintiff in both cases could have been returned to detention and then denied a subsequent bond hearing. Even if that had not been so, these cases would not be moot because the harms alleged are transitory enough to elude review. 
County of Riverside versus McLaughlin. Even assuming that 1226C1 requires immediate arrest, the result below would be wrong because a statutory rule that officials shall act within a specified time does not by itself preclude action later. Barnhart versus Peabody Cole. This principle for interpreting time limits on statutory mandates was a fixture of the legal backdrop when Congress enacted Section 1226C. Woodford versus Garceau. And Justice Thomas, joined by Justice Gorsuch, concluded that three statutory provisions, 8 U.S.C., Sections 1252b9, 1226e, and 1252f1, limit judicial review in these cases, and it is unlikely that the district courts had Article III jurisdiction to certify the classes. That last paragraph was part of Thomas's concurrence in the judgment, uh, only in part. Um, Justice Alito announced the judgment of the court and delivered the opinion of the court with respect to parts 1, 3A, 3B1, and 4, in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Thomas, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh joined. And an opinion with respect to parts 2 and 3B2, in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh joined, Justice Kavanaugh filed a concurring opinion. Justice Thomas filed an opinion concurring in part and concurring in the judgment, in which Justice Gorsuch joined. Justice Breyer filed a dissenting opinion, in which Justices Ginsburg, Sotomayor, and Kagan joined. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of the podcast, we can be reached at RhodesScholar80 at gmail.com. That's R-O-A-D-S and 8-0.